Oh my god, remember when we recorded this last time and I referenced Star Trek and or Star Wars and you guys yelled at me for not knowing the difference? I'm not over it, honestly. <laughs> honestly, this is the most I've seen Mike ever drink anyway. He's downing this truly. It's freaking me out, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Holy Spirits, the show where we're not going to heaven, but you might be. Not me. Not me. Maybe. Probably out of anybody, it would be Heather listeners. Like, let's just make sure everyone knows that. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) My name's Mike. I'm Tara. I'm Heather. And we are coming to you on our first ever remote recorded session. We are on FaceTime. We have our audio synced up. Please don't ask us about the process. It's extremely complicated, and we're probably fucking it up in some way or another. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, we we need a professional. Yes, but this gives us an opportunity to debut our brand new microphones that, in theory, will make the podcast sound better because we used to record it on an iPhone. It might make it sound worse because these microphones are better and therefore more sensitive. So you know what? You are in for a gamble and you're welcome for this thrilling either payoff or horrible letdown. It's going to be a roller coaster ride. It's going to be a roller coaster. You can listen to the podcast on our SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash holy underscore spirits. You can follow that channel. You can like individual episodes that you just adore to let us know how much you love them. But now, as of this episode, we are now on Apple Podcasts. We are called Holy Spirits, the podcast. And big shout out to Tara because she handled basically all of that. And uh, we kept getting rejected from iTunes. I mean, honestly, the the emotional aspect of reaching out to Apple and being like, this is our baby. This is our child. Take it like Moses down the river into (laughs) the hands of the Pharaoh of Apple. Please put our podcast on iTunes. And first they rejected us because they didn't like Mike's artwork. It was was too high quality. It was too high quality. Too good. Too good. But then we got through and now Apple has our baby, our gift to you world. Just like the Virgin Mary. You're welcome. You're welcome. Wow, that was very moving. Anyway. um, (laughs) My soliloquy about Apple. (laughs) They're probably going to kick us out now. So Yeah. Yeah. Apple's going to listen to this and be like, dude, fuck these people. But if you want to support the show, you can rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. That would be really, really helpful. Honestly, if any of my friends are listening to this and they have not subscribed, I want you guys to know that you're breaking my heart. I can't even get my husband to listen, so. <laughs> Actually, he left us the best review. Okay, no, we had we had the funniest interchange with our neighbor, Justin and I did, because she said, wow, you, you're rated five stars on Apple Podcasts. And I looked and there were four reviews. And I'm like, there are three hosts. <laughs> And Heather's husband wrote a review, so I think he's probably the fourth, but you know what? Four or five star reviews, that'll do. No, I, I sat down with Don while he wrote a review. I'm like, oh, okay, so he's listened to some episodes. I can't say that he never listens, but I'm like, you need to go on, rate us, give us five stars because you love him, and write a review. And he's like, okay, well, I'm like, no, write it now. <laughs> so, he's, so he sat in my office and he wrote his review and he was such a good 
good sport about it. I mean, his review is beautiful. Like, it's really it cute and well-written. And he did mean every word. I know. It was just sweet. And you know I love me a Donald. Yeah. Um, the Facebook group is a great place to, A, see all of the photo reviews from our various mm-hmm. episodes. Mm-hmm. B, a great place to share whatever Bible stories you might have. See any suggestions that you guys have for our off episodes because we do the chronological story of thus far we're in Genesis, but then every other episode we do kind of a random topic um, at our own discretion. If you guys have any suggestions for those, we'd love to hear them in the Facebook group. Yes, absolutely. But I also want it to be a safe place. I don't want, if someone doesn't agree with what someone says, I don't want there to be any fighting or, you know, shaming or. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I'll fucking block you. Yeah. We'll boot you from the Facebook group. If you're an asshole. I mean, everyone has their own, opinions different experiences and that's what that's what makes up humanity so i don't i don't want any i don't anyone i don't want anyone being mean to anyone absolutely it's a it's a place for a good faith conversation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i really like it when you're able to have a conversation with someone that maybe has an opposing view um but i mean not fight but actually have a discussion and be open-minded about you know, what they have to say, and may- maybe you will walk away learning something that maybe you didn't, or you might walk away with something, huh, I never thought about it that way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna think about that and ruminate on it. Like your husband saying that she, he pictures baby Jesus in a tuxedo shirt because he says it's formal, but he likes to party too. Yes. And then my husband <laughs> following up that he likes to think of Jesus as a ninja who likes to fight off evil samurai. Love it. Exactly. This is the type of material we're getting. (laughs) And I think Jesus can be all of those things. Pretty sure he's a ninja in a tuxedo shirt. (laughs) Tuxedo shirt. Our Holy Spirit of the day varies because we are each recording separately. I am drinking a mango truly, which says that I am summery and homosexual. Heather? I was drinking white Zinfandel, and that tells me that this is the only thing I had left in my refrigerator, and we haven't even started, and it is all gone. <laughs> so. I was going to say, like, you guys, we've barely been doing this for half, like, a second, and she downed that. We're at 13 minutes of of time that you guys probably won't even see. It'll probably, Mike will edit us down so much, it'll be two minutes, and she's going to say that she already drank the whole thing. Tara, what are you drinking? Okay, so I'm drinking the worst drink concoction of all time but i stand by it it is a diet sunkissed and then i just like poured vodka into it because i was too lazy to make myself an actual cocktail and so as i was coming downstairs i stopped at the garage fridge and picked up an orange soda out of there and then got into the freezer where the vodka is, opened up, took a swig of orange soda and poured the (laughs) vodka in and then just finished my way down to the basement where I'm recording. So, um, you know, you guys, it's high class. We call it an Ozark lemonade. Vodka's good in anything. It's fine. Yeah. And we are shamefully re-recording this episode. (laughs) Yeah. Because as a part of our brand new microphones that we're very excited about, we recorded the Babel episode, but we had no idea what we were doing. Uh-huh. And so the audio came out uh, and you can hear Tara on my mic and me on Tara's mic. Heather's audio is wonderful, by the way. You can finally hear me. 
You guys, in in all honesty, I would like to introduce you to our third <laughs> member of this podcast. Hello, everyone. Hello. So nice to be here. So excited. But anyway, we're uh, so the audio didn't work out, and so we are re-recording, and so this is going to be a little bit different for several reasons: uh, the microphones, the remote, the fact that we've all heard our own stories before. Today's topic is also a change of pace because the Tower of Babel story is the story that is next in the Old Testament timeline. It's really, really short, even with all of my analysis, even with us all yucking it up and being shwasty messes. And so we thought that we'd mix it up a little bit. I'm going to do the Tower of Babel story, and then Heather and Tara are each going to do some content of their own. So we're going to be switching it up, which is very, very exciting. Very. I am ready to babble it out. Let's do it. Babble it out. We last time we started with me and then we did Heather and then we did Tara. Do you guys want to do that order again? Sure. I'm good with that. Well, I guess what did you guys already know about the Tower of Babel? Well, I remember I said it's a language app and I just I just knew that um some people built a tower you know, someone got mad, things were thrown to the wind. And it was very important. Okay. Curious. That's what I knew. So I would like to have a shout out to my best friend, uh, Catherine, because she's the one who actually told me about the Tower of Babel. And all I really remember is that she basically explained that she read the story or knew the story or something with the story. She went to Christian school, so I'm sure it was told to her um, like a daily or something. I don't know. But basically the story is, is that some people built a tower and it got God mad. And so then he was like, fuck you. I'm tearing down your tower. And then on top of that, I'm going to gargle up all of your guys's languages. So nobody's going to understand anything. And then that's your punishment for thinking that you can build a fucking tower. So that's all I know. Gargle. Yeah. Garble. Oh, garble. 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 Love it. Garble. Garble. <laughs> so after the flood, Noah has landed. His sons have scattered all over. People are populating the earth. Everybody speaks the same language, right? Because everyone comes from literally one family. So people go to Shinar, which is the Hebrew word for Sumer. Um, in this case, they mean Babylonia. So just like kind of as a side note, Mesopotamia, modern day Iraq. Babylon is generally in like Mesopotamian history. Babylon is the big southern player. And then Assyria, um, centered around the, the city of Ashur, is the big northern player. So we have Babylon and Assyria. They are our two Mesopotamian cultures that we care about. In the Bible, people use brick and tar and they build a tower. So they decide they're going to build a city with this super high tower to heaven and they can be forever remembered as ballers right? They'll just head up and they'll say hi to God. It's going to be a super high tower, monumental architecture. People are going to remember it forever. Super cool, right? And we have to remember too that heaven in the ancient conceptualization is a hard dome that's over the earth. So you literally could build a tower all the way up and like knock on the sky. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. (laughs) It is not not like that. Yeah. 
apparently the idea that it was being built to heaven could be like a figure of speech so it's either like a super high tower or a tower literally to god town god comes down and he's like what the fuck is this he decides that humans are like way too mouthy he does not appreciate that they are building a tower to his town he's like i'm doing my own thing and so he decides the humans are super mouthy they're working way too well together so he spreads them across the earth and he confuses their speech from each other so now you can't understand what your neighbor is saying i love that that's the like why he wanted to punish people he's like you fuckers seem to be too organized and I think we need to shut this shit down. You're getting along with each other too well. You know, we need some wars. We need some problems. Like, there's not enough um, antagonist items happening here for this novel that I'm writing called Humanity. So let's just fuck yous up and get rid of ya. He's he's bored. I think he needs some drama, yeah. you know. They didn't have TV back then, so. Yeah. God walks in and he's like, I came here to be uncomfortable and to fight. Then they call the Tower Babel because that's where speech got confounded. Um, the Bible says that it gets its name because Babel sounds super similar to the Hebrew verb Balal, which is to jumble or confuse. It's not technically the same root as the English word to like to babble, like to blah, 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 blah. But if I had to guess, it's probably um, similar etymology as like mama, like toddler speech. Uh, it's really common cross-linguistically that kinship terms so terms for members of your family specifically mothers basically always sound like mama in chinese it's mama in finnish it's mummo that's grandma um in georgian mama means dad like that's just a sound that babies make all the time and so cultures are always like yeah sure that's you know babbling it's family it's whatever like a nonsense phrase so that that's very possibly where it comes from fascinating that still just like seriously sits with me as like one of the most fascinating things you've ever said in any of these episodes that we've recorded i don't know why that just is the thing that hits me as like damn that's some good information fun fact the tower of babel is never actually in the bible as a phrase it's always just the city and the tower and at the end of the story they call it babel oh so it's just like a reference to like there's a tower in the city babel yeah basically we do keep seeing some similar themes again, like the idea of hubris. Ever since Adam and Eve, we keep seeing humans do self-aggrandizing things. You know, Adam and Eve ate the fruit to be more like God, and God was like, sit the fuck down. It's kind of it's kind of a recreation of that again, right? Where humans decide that they're going to build a tower that goes all the way to where God lives, and God is like, you are not on my fucking level, Barbara. And just like, cast them all down and then punishes them right because now they can't understand each other right. um and it also establishes well it continues that dynamic of god versus humans as power players it's very humans keep trying to be like god and god keeps on being like no that is a binary there isn't any third party in that spectrum it is just humans keep being like god and god says no <laughs> so that's really oppositional right it creates a weird dynamic for the bible yeah well, and like, what do you guys, what do you guys think of that? What do you guys think of the um, binary dynamic between humans and God? Well, I always, I took it as the people were building a tower out of like respect for God, love for God. You know, I love you so much that I want to be close to you. I want to be able to, you know, go, you know, hey, let, let's hang out, you know, like, you know, bar, let's borrow a cup of sugar from God or be neighborly. So that's the way I took it. Like they loved him so much that. 
they just wanted to be close to him and love him and be a part of him. And apparently God just didn't want any of that. So that's, that's what kind of struck me when you told the story and Mm -hmm. that's how I perceive it. Like they, they were just so in love with God and wanted to be close to him that they wanted to build a tower to him. Mm -hmm. That's very introspective. The idea that humans are pursuing a God who wants to like a a parent who wants to keep his distance. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. And it's like the, the more the person that you love, you know, doesn't give you the time of day or, you know, treats you like shit. It's like the more you love them and the more you want to be with them. Um, that kind of dynamic in that kind of relationship. They're like in an abusive relationship with God. Holy shit. Is that going to get some negative reviews? Well, and you know, but I don't, I don't think that it is, it is kind of controversial to say that God abuses humans, but there's something to be said about the, the idea that, you know, humans do something wrong and then God overreacts. God does do a lot of things that if a human were to do them, they would be viewed as temperamental. Like, they didn't have the abuse word and like dynamics in a psychological sense to explore in the ancient world. But I think it's pretty easy to make the case that God is abusive and he would be abusive if he were human. Obviously the fact that he's God kind of mitigates some of that responsibility. I mean, I think they just wanted to love him. They just wanted to be close to him and, you know, be, be a part of his world. I think the humans just want to be loved. One of the interesting things about the Tower of Babel story from a linguistics perspective, we almost always end up talking about the Tower of Babel at some point in my linguistics classes in college because it is the explanation for why there are different languages. It's really interesting to me reading the Tower of Babel because the Tower of Babel goes from one language to many. There is no more nuance than that. It's just there is one when you go into the story and there are a lot when you come out of the story. But Noah's sons actually account for language families way neater than the Tower of Babel story. Obviously, people notice that some languages are more similar than others. Like if you are an English speaker and you go up to a Dutch speaker and you say, that is a dog. And then the Dutch speaker goes, that is an hund. You'd be like, dat is an hund. And hund is a cognate for hound, like dog. Like those languages are super similar. Wow, they must be related somehow. Versus, you know, in Spanish, you say, eso es un perro. And it's like, that doesn't sound anything like what I said, but whatever. But Mike wants everyone to know that he knows multiple languages. But I do know multiple languages. Please, Ben, mommy. Mm -hmm. The Noah story seems to account for there being multiple language families um, better than the Tower of Babel story. So we kind of see, we kind of see the double explanation thing. It's kind of like how... God created everything. God created man and woman. And then God doubled back to create Adam, who was the first man. Like that doesn't quite make sense. In the Noah story, we talked about how there are probably multiple versions of that story that have been lumped onto each other. And that's why there's a raven that goes to the land, but there's also a dove that goes to the land. And the time that it rains versus floods is kind of confusing. Like it's an amalgamation of several different stories. And it seems that the idea of languages being separate, which is already accounted for in the Noah story, we're doing that again here in the Babel story. And like, it, it makes a lot of sense that you would want to over explain this because if humans are human, then they must come from the same place. So why would they speak languages that are so ridiculously different? They cannot understand a fucking word <laughs> that, you know, another community is saying like, that's dumb slash confusing. And there must be something more to it. And like there is, there's a whole field of linguistics. That's all about historical reconstructions. That's incredibly interesting. The biblical explanations seem to be kind of all over the place. 
because they obviously didn't have the linguistic science to explain it, which is fair, you know. But so anyway, Tower of Babel, the like historically speaking, there is one example that I think is really interesting uh, that is not true in any manifestation. And that's that the Spaniards thought when they arrived in the Americas, they thought that the Great Pyramid of Cholula was the Tower of Babel because the Aztecs had a myth that these giants built that tower in order to try to find the sun, but then the gods got mad and destroyed the tower. And the Spaniards were like, that's close enough. Like, that sounds a lot like the Tower of Babel. Uh, it didn't have any like language associated with it. It didn't have anything to do with confusing languages or anything. But the Spaniards were like, it's a tower, it got built, and then the gods destroyed it. Like, that maps on closely enough. Like, maybe this is the thing. Maybe this is what we're looking for. The more realistic explanation is this, uh, it's called a ziggurat, called Etemenanki. So a ziggurat is kind of like a pyramid, but it's like the Mesopotamian version of pyramids. And so they usually look kind of like step pyramids with like ramps, um, like ramping staircases kind of. Um, and they were big temples that were used for worship and blah, blah, blah. Etemenanki was a ziggurat dedicated to the Babylonian patron deity. His name was Marduk. If you dive into ancient history, Marduk is basically a character because even though he's a god, people talk about him constantly and they worshiped his statue and the statue gets stolen at one point and then everybody loses their mind about it. But um, Etemenanki is also really interesting because it is fucking huge. Uh, it's 91 meters tall, which is about 300 feet high. And because I don't know how big things are, I looked it up, and that's the height of the Crown Plaza Hotel in Kansas City um, or the Chicago Federal Building. Yeah, they're... How the hell did they build something like that? I'm, I mean, right? And it was built in about 1000 BC. Like, it was built in fucking ye olde ancient times, and they built it as tall as several modern buildings. I mean, the Crown Plaza Hotel in Kansas City and the Chicago Federal Building, like, they're not small, even by our standards. Edimenanki was just, like, fucking towering. So Edimenanki means the temple of the foundation of heaven and earth. So it was a major, major Babylonian religious site. And it was, again, built in Babylon, so remember, the Old Testament is written by the ancient Hebrew people, the ancient Israelites. Babylon and the ancient Hebrews are like, not buds. So there is a Babylonian king uh, later along. His name is Nebuchadnezzar II. Uh, and if we ever get to the book of Daniel, we'll get to know him really well because he features in it really prominently. But he conquers Judah. We don't need to get into the difference between Judah and Israel right now because it's kind of complicated. But Suffice to say that Judah is like a part of Israel. Judah was a client kingdom of Neo-Assyria and then Babylonia is taking over and they're like, you're friends with the wrong bully. We're going to be bigger bullies to you. And it was like, ah. So then what they do is Nebuchadnezzar takes a bunch of nobles from and just like a mass deportation of people from ancient Israel and they bring them to Babylon. And so we have a bunch of Israelites they're chilling in Babylon. They are hostages, basically. So they're not feeling very happy about the Babylonians while they're stuck in Babylon. And they are looking at this great big tower that is called the Temple of the Foundation of Heaven and Earth. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense 
that the Israelite people would associate the mean conqueror with hubris and like this giant building project. And they would call that tower, the thing like those fucking Babylonians, they ruined communication for everybody. And they're the reason no one understands each other. That story, the Babylonian captivity is what it's called. All of that happens around 600 BCE. Nebuchadnezzar II actually helps to rebuild Edmanonki because it's obviously very old, even when he's alive. So it's it's very much this story of hostages being taken and being like, fuck this guy and this fucking tower that's so fucking important to him. This is the time that I tell you to Google Etimananki. Etimami. So if you guys want to look up some pictures and just kind of tell me about what you're seeing, like what, what does Etimananki look like? What's the kind of vibe that you get from it? So, I mean, if you're looking at Edinamonke, which I'm butchering the name of it, um, it looks like if a pyramid was built on, you know, like when you have those houses on the coast and they're built on stilts, it's almost like a pyramid built on stilts with like a really big, tall staircase up to it. Yeah, but... Yeah, it's just that the stilts are another bigger block of stone. Right, for sure. But like, yeah, it's like very medieval. It's way before medieval. It's about 2,000 years before medieval. It, uh, what it looks like to me, it's it's very, very solid, very blocky. It looks like something an elementary school student would um, make for some project out of sugar cubes. Interesting. That's not inaccurate at no, all. No, not at all. That's like eerily accurate, actually. It it does look like you could make it in Minecraft very yes, easily. Yes, exactly. It's funny, if I go down farther, so like the pictures at the top, everything's all square and everything. But then if you scroll down, it makes it look almost as if it was like a circular, almost like Colosseum-esque. So that those are not Edimanonki, that's the Tower of Babel. They are supposed to be the same thing, but obviously later people are like, when I make towers, they're round. So this is the Tower of Babel. It's round. Hmm. So it's like a creative interpretation of what... Exactly. It's kind of like when people paint Jesus without a beard. It's like Jesus almost certainly had a beard because basically all Jewish men had a beard. Or white. Yeah, or when or black for that matter. Like um, Sometimes people will depict Jesus as black, and he almost certainly was not black. He was almost certainly Middle Eastern. So the thing that happens kind of unsatisfyingly, in my opinion, in the 300s BCE, Alexander the Great conquers most of the Middle East, and he loved Babylon. Uh, He actually died there. And when Alexander the Great was in Babylon, he arranged for it to be dismantled uh, because he wanted to rebuild it even better. But then he died before he could get it done. So it never happened. So we will actually post the coordinates that you can put into Google Maps to see the ruins of Edimanonki. Um, obviously, it's in modern-day Iraq, which consistently blows Tara's mind. <laughs> I mean, you guys, in the last 10 years, has anything good really happened in Iraq? In the last 20. Just to be clear, Iraq has a history of like 5,000 years. I mean... I'm pretty sure a lot of countries have very long years of history. I mean, that's true, but Iraq has a documented history of about 5,000 years. That just blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. So, um, but yeah, that that's the story of the Tower of Babel, kind of the mythology as it's laid out in the Bible, and then the historical story and 
how the two interact and then the kind of eventual fate is for it to be disassembled. Not nearly as dramatically as the Bible says, though. God didn't break it down. Alexander the Great was like, I could do a better job, and then took it apart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we need to delve into that a little bit more, because last time when we talked about this, this was, like, mind-blowing to me, that, like, he came in there and he just was, like, obsessed with it, right? He was like, listen, this is where I want to be. This is my retirement plan. I want to be in Babylon. And just thought it was, like, a great stake in the world. and then. He came across this beautiful Edaman monkey at a monkey and was like, listen, I could do better. Let's just make this, you know, a visionary. And then he started rebuilding it. But then the fucker died after like pretty much at the time that he finished like demolition. It would be as if like. Joanna Gaines went into somewhere and was like, oh, I could redo this whole home. Let's take it down to Stubbs. And then she fucking dies before she even does anything. And this house is just like fucked. I mean, kind of. Well, and okay, in fairness to Alexander the Great died at 32 years old. Jesus died at either 30 or 33. And Alexander the Great died at 32. Obviously, they didn't live at the same time, but they died at around the same age. And Alexander the Great died very unexpectedly from kind of questionable causes, actually. No one really thinks that he got poisoned, but no one really knows how he died. Um, but he, but yeah, everybody thought that he was going to, you know, rule until he was 50 or 60. And so when he kind of kicked the bucket out of nowhere, it was like, oh, fuck. Then they had bigger fish to fry, which we'll get into later, because next time I want to do an Alexander the Great episode. So yeah, that's that's the story of Babel. After this we're going to do an episode about Alexander the Great. And then following that, we're going to pick back up in Genesis with the story of Abram, a.k.a. Abraham, who is one of the big patriarchs in Judaism. That's my bit. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, So now that we have finished the mic section, the Tower of Babel, we are now going to take a lovely departure to Heather. Heather is next up. Heather, would you like to give us a little introduction? Yes, yes, I would love to. I'm so excited. So um, last episode, we um, talked about Peter, a.k.a. Simon, Simon Peter, the rock. A.k.a. Tara's boyfriend. A.k.a. Tara's boyfriend, Cephas. And um, we kind of mentioned, Mike, I think you mentioned it, how Peter was freed from jail by an angel. And I found that very interesting. So I thought I would delve a little bit more into that. So here it goes. I'm going to go a little bit back before he was freed by the angel. So bear with me. Um, I'm going to tell a couple of stories to get to that event. So one incident was apparently he and his friend John were preaching the word of Jesus, the Christ. And it was really pissing a lot of people off. By a lot of people, I specifically mean like the priests, uh, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducee. The Sadducees. Sadducees. Thank you. Oh, but they're so juicy. They're so juicy. Well, and that's the one. I'm sorry. When I was a child, the song goes, I don't want to be a Sadducee. I don't want to be a Sadducee because they're so sad, you see. Okay. I'm sorry. But... So you have to sing it. 
I don't want to be a Sadducee. I don't want to be a Sadducee. Because they're so Sadducee. I don't want to be a Sadducee. And I will add on a more uh, dignified note that the Sadducees were temple priests specifically. So the Pharisees tended to be the establishment types who are much more, uh, think of them kind of like lawyers. They were about interpreting religious texts and enforcing religious laws. And the Sadducees were much more the temple priests who were about like sacrifices and incense and, you know, all of the kind of holy rituals. Uh, After the temple of Jerusalem is destroyed and the Jewish diaspora starts, the Sadducees basically cease to exist. Okay. Awesome. So um, along with that, they like, they denied the resurrection of the dead. Um, They denied the existence of spirits. They kind of looked down on the oral tradition. Uh, Instead, they emphasized acceptance of the written law alone. So Peter and John were arrested because they were disturbing the peace. And by disturbing the peace, I mean those fucking hoodlums. Yeah, they were. They were bad boys. They, you know, you know, Tara. Bad boys, we like the bad, bad boys. boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when Tara comes for you? Yeah. <laughs> bad boys, bad boys. So they were disturbing the peace by preaching their Christian ways and performing miracles. And, you know, just basically causing a ruckus. Um, but there was this one particular incident. So they were out in public, you know, preaching, and there were a lot of people that were gathering around Peter and John, um, these two men, because they had just healed a beggar who had been lame from birth. He had never stood up, like in 40 years, never stood up, never walked, never tiptoed through the tulips. You get the idea. Tiptoed Come on, Mike. Your time to shine. That is just the creepiest thing. It is. And he does it so fucking perfect. So well. I love it. Um, Okay, where was I? Okay. Heal the lame beggar. Tip throw through the tulips. Okay, you get the idea. So not only did they heal this um, guy, but they were preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. That's a no-no. Mm-mm. Not no, today. No, not today. In the words of no, my you. son, not today, sir. <laughs> not today, sir. So you see, when Christians spread the gospel of Christ, they are deemed as disturbing the peace. So mentioning the name of Jesus has now become an offense. So Peter was like, then so be it. Let's let's live up to it. Let's accept it because we are not going to stop. Let them always, you know, see us as disturbing the peace of the world, not because we're criminals, but because we speak against evil and sin by proclaiming the good news of Christ. So therefore, we must disturb the peace, which in reality is false peace, leading people to an eternal separation from God. It's very um, civil disobedience. Yes. Yes. Like I, I can picture some sit-ins, you know, some. Yeah. some... What was the John Lewis quote? Uh, good trouble. Yeah. 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 And very like, very much what's going on in the current world events, you know? Exactly. 
Yeah. Um, when I read that, that, um, re, you know, made me think of the quote from Mahatma Gandhi, be the change you wish to see in the world. And that's what they were. That's basically what they were doing. Right, I sister? mean, all yeah. down for Heather pulling out some Gandhi. Gandhi. Quote. Yeah, right. I was proud of myself on that one. I mean, you can never go wrong with Gandhi. No. Yeah, really. However, sorry, I was watching um, Indian matchmaking on Netflix. Yes. And, <laughs> and honestly, another masterpiece. But before each episode, they interview couples who've been married for a very long time that have been set up on arranged marriages. And yeah. this one couple was like, yeah, we were you know, allowed to go on one date before our wedding. And my boyfriend, this dude that I was going to marry... The guy was like, I told her mother that I was going to go take her to go see the movie Gandhi because it was the longest movie playing. But really, we went to go see like, I don't know, like some, you know, Bollywood film or something that was probably like an hour long. And he was like, that way we could, you know, have some time alone. And then it like cuts to the producer off camera being like, well, what did you guys do for the extra like two hours? And they just like sheepishly look at each other and they're like, talked <laughs> and it's like and it's like gandhi bringing that people together cheap, yeah, bringing people together in, in more ways than one getting you laid laid yeah. laid yeah, laid yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great yeah. so yeah so be the change you wish to see in the world so since peter and john were you know breaking the rules breaking the law disturbing the peace and um the captain of the temple that that was his job keeping the peace so um, his solution was to arrest them. But that wasn't the only reason that they got arrested. Another reason were um, that they were basically undermining the monopoly and authority of the Jewish rulers and elders. So, you know, think about it like, so here are these two, you know, two uneducated, poor, blue collar type fishermen preaching and teaching the word of God. And they're challenging their authority Hello? I don't think so. Um, the Jewish rulers, they're the, they're the true leaders. They're the true rulers and um, the true teachers. You know, not these two unimportant guys on the street. And illiterate too, right? There's a really consistent, ever since the invention of writing, writing has been a very important and very sacred thing. Obviously, Hebrew is a liturgical language while people speak Aramaic. So they like have a special holy language with special holy writing. And so being being literate is a very big deal from a religious power perspective. You are you hold the keys to the kingdom. I mean, it's just like in the Reformation, uh, Martin Luther translated the Bible from Latin into German because people actually fucking spoke German. The people who spoke Latin were all like, quadruple highbrow super educated people and extremely often were associated with the church so more people understood german and that democratized the bible and in general institutions of power do not like being democratized and diffusing their power among other people it makes them feel very insecure because it depletes their power like technically if you have a monopoly on everything that people do and the other sorry the the last thing i want to say about that is that Abrahamic religions tend to have a lot of rules. So like in Judaism, they obviously have the kosher uh, regulations where you're not supposed to eat pork and blah, blah, blah. In uh, Islam, they have similar kind of series of rules. 
it's very much that your religion dictates your health and the laws that you abide. If you are taking a different religious stance, it's not just, oh, well, what happens when you die might be slightly different if you ask this person compared to if you ask the church elders. It is literally, I'm attacking your government. I'm attacking your legal system. I'm attacking your entire culture all at once. It's a huge upheaval at this time because everything is so connected. Interesting. If you think about it, this is this is kind of why Jesus was crucified because he was undermining, you know, their rule. Absolutely. Um, also, Peter and John were undermining the the theology of the Jewish rulers. Not only were they disturbing the peace, challenging them, they were also disturbing the status quo of their. Uh, established belief system. So two fishermen were preaching about supernatural powers, healings, miracles, uh, resurrecting the dead. They were completely going against the Sadducee who did not believe in magic, you know, or anything like supernatural. And, um, you know, certainly, certainly not bringing a dead guy back to life. So, so they were arrested, thrown into jail So the next day, Peter and John were brought before the council. Fun fact, this was the same council or court that Jesus had stood in front of just three months before. Uh, So these were the same judges. The Sanhedrin. Thank you. Yeah. And same, basically the same people who, yeah, let's, let's kill Jesus. Let's put him to death. So really kind of a eerie deja vu feeling. I'm getting here, here, Peter and, uh, Peter and John, excuse me, standing alone against the most educated, the most influential leaders among the Jewish people. But they felt, you know, that they, you know, they're not alone. And by that, I mean, they didn't feel alone because they had the same Holy Spirit in them that Jesus had. And the Holy Spirit would be like their lawyer, their advocate. So I, I think they felt pretty, pretty positive. As one would. As one would with Jesus on your side. You know, it's like, they're like, I got this. I got yeah. this. Just, just like Obama before the um, second election when he was playing basketball. And he's like, yeah, I got this. <laughs> it's fine. I'm good. I got this. So, <laughs> I don't remember that because I was a senior in high school. Oh my gosh. God damn God. you. My... Actually, no, that's not true. I was a freshman in college. Oh, well, that's so much better. So much, <laughs> so better. much better. So much better. Isn't it? It is. It is. Sweet, sweet baby Mike. I mean, to make a call out, I was a senior in high school during the first election between Obama and McCain. And McCain, yeah. I was not in school anymore. <laughs> so, so Peter, okay, so remember Peter was the one that denied Jesus three times before his crucifixion. Crucifixion, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Well, he was going to make damn sure that he did not do that again. He had seen the light. He was a changed man. So Peter and John decided to turn the tables and they became the judges themselves. So Peter asked the council, Hey, is, is it a crime that he and John helped a cripple? Well, no. Okay. So Peter tells them I was able to do that because of Jesus. 
you remember the guy you killed three months ago? Yeah, well, that cripple is healed because of him. Even though you killed him, you didn't succeed because God raised him from the dead. How is that for supernatural? I mean, um, preach. Yeah, preach. And so really, I mean, what could they do? So here was this, this guy, a man who hadn't stood for 40 years, and now he was up walking around. I mean, they couldn't punish him for helping him do that. Actually, some of the judges recognized Peter as the one who denied Jesus. And now he was up here, you know, really boldly defending himself and Jesus. So that was quite the turnaround. So the cripple was standing and walking, couldn't be ignored. Jesus's tomb was empty and they couldn't produce a body after three months. And they could have believed that Jesus was more than they thought, but no, they still refused to believe. They could not deny the miracle. I mean, he was standing right there, but um, they could, and they did deny the reason behind the miracle, which is again, was Jesus. So they were able to deny him again. And so before they were let, let free, they decided Peter and John were forbidden to ever speak Jesus' name. Basically, they weren't allowed to speak about Christianity anymore. But Peter wasn't going to go for that. Hell no. No, no. He's like, and I quote, I assume it's from the Bible. I don't know what I'm quoting. It is true that you are the judges, but I appeal from you to a higher court, the court of God. So these judges and rulers will have to answer to the judge of all men and his son. They will have to decide for themselves as they will one day appear before him. Pretty powerful. Yeah. I mean, that's epic. Can you imagine that in like modern day courtrooms where they're like, are like, listen here, panel of jury, you know, I'm going to panel to the jury. ladies and gentlemen of the panel of jury. <laughs> Like, I'm going to flip this around. You think that you're going to prosecute me? I'm going to prosecute every single one of you. 12 angry men, 12 mm -hmm. angry Paul Simon or Peter Simon, <laughs> whatever the hell his name was, you know, <laughs> and he's flipping it around on them and is like, I'm putting you on the stand. Do you see this cripple? Do you see him walking? Can you sit here and tell me that's not happening? No, sir. Not today. <laughs> Oh my God, Tara, you should tell this story. You're so fabulous at it. It's like, no, no sir. Stop complimenting her. I know, I don't. She is fabulous. You know, I, I have to say, I was so nervous to do this because, like, you know, I'm doing it in front of Mike, you know, the book of Mike. <laughs> and that's yeah. all this knowledge. And I'm like, um. And you're like, I'm quoting it from somewhere. I assume the Bible. <laughs> I assume it's the Bible. This is basically how all of my high school book reports went. <laughs> I'm quoting it from somewhere. I can't yeah. remember who told yeah. me. And yet you became a teacher. Of <laughs> oh my gosh. Showed you what the standards were back then. Basically... They didn't know what to do with them. They really had nothing to hold them on, so they just let them go. It was a hung jury. It was a hung jury. You know, yeah. Me too. Hung <laughs> okay, so that just kind of establishes a pattern of behavior. You know, they're they're not going to stop. They're going to keep preaching. They're going to keep getting arrested. So fast forward, don't know how long, but basically to when King Herod now threw Peter into jail. So I'm going to put on my mic hat now. <gasps> yes, yes, yes. Are you ready? Yes. 
I picture it to be like a rainbow pope hat. Oh, absolutely. Okay. My cat is on. So, who was King Herod, you ask? Who was he? Tara, I'm so glad you asked. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm so, here for you. King Herod Agrippa was the king of Judea from 41 to 44 AD. King Herod Agrippa. 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 He was the last ruler with the royal title reigning over Judea and the father of Herod Agrippa II, the last king from the Herodian dynasty, the grandson of Herod the Great and son of, Mike help me with this one again, Aristobulus, Aristobulus. Ooh, I like that one. Aristobulus. Sorry, um, Aristobulus. Okay. All right. So. Bulus. Bulus. Anyone? Aristobulus. Any? Aristobulus. Bueller. Bueller. Anyone? Aristobulus. So Agrippa's territory comprised most of modern Israel, including Judea, Galilee, Batnea, and Perea. Yeah. Does that sound good, Mike? That is close enough. I'm into it. Okay. So King Herod Agrippa, he was the law and order king. Basically, he catered to his base. He catered only to his followers, his supporters. Loyalty to him, loyalty to the king, him was paramount. It was the most important thing. He was very narcissistic and he wanted people to worship him, no one else. It was all about him. Have we done an ancestry DNA on Trump to see if they are sharing a bloodline? I mean, I'm glad I wasn't the only one that was thinking that. Yeah. You know, I I thought it described very much a leader of Mm -hmm. the U.S. The air quote. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, make Judea great again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it'll be great. It'll be perfect. You'll see. Fake news. Fake news. So. Jesus is fake news. Jesus is fake news. So, okay, so narcissistic leader, worship me, 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 me. It's all me, me, me. And and then Peter, of course, was preaching peace, joy, unconditional love, embracing those who were different, different from us, basically all inclusive. He was loyal to the teachings of Jesus, which threatened Trump. Oh, I mean, threatened Herod. And... So, you know, so good. So, so what did, what did King Herod do? He decided, Hey, I don't like this guy. He's not preaching about me. He should be only talking about me. He should be supporting me. So I'm going to, I'm going to kill James, John's brother. So he, he had James killed and he arrested Peter and he sent him to prison. You know, that's fair. He wasn't doing what he wanted. So he lashed out. Very rude. So he threw him in prison and he had four squads of four soldiers. I did the math at 16, 16 people to guard him. Thank you. Right, Thank right. you. I'm really proud of you. Thank you so much. Wonderful math facts. I, I was hoping you'd be impressed. I think last time you asked us how many that was. No, I didn't. I said I did the math and I said it's 16 and everyone was so impressed. So. Oh, oh. Tara, how fucking dare you? How dare you? Thou shalt not bear False witness, Tara. <laughs> I mean, it's a little fair because math is not my 
strong suit, but no. And you know, four by four is 16. Four by so. four is 16. Yeah. Yeah. Total of 16 guards to guard this one man, Peter. I don't know. What do you think? Overkill? He had Jesus on his side where they were doing it. I don't know. Well, and there was some Holy Spirits involved. Oh, so Holy I Spirit's guess. Holy coming up. So yeah, I see what you did there. Holy Spirit's coming up. Peter's drunk as fuck. <laughs> Peter's like, the Holy Spirit is fact tequila. And all these 16 guards are like, hey! Like, yes, yes, yes! Can you turn water into wine too? Yeah. So the king wanted to wait and bring Simon or Peter before the people after Passover. So he had to wait in jail until that time came. Mm-hmm. So during that time, his church was, I mean... They gathered people around. They were fervently, you know, praying to God for Peter to be let go, to be saved. So lots of, lots of praying going on. So now on the very night, Herod was going to bring him out. Uh, Peter was in his cell, just crashed out, sleeping hard um, between two soldiers. Um, So he had two soldiers on the side. He was all bound up with chains. There were guards in the front, in the front door. Um, I mean, there was no way no one was coming in or out. This without just screams like intro to like a porno. What? <laughs> Tara, what kind of fucking weird historical porn are I you mean, watching? Lay was a history major, so what, was it was it bound up with chains that got you? It was, and yeah. between two men and him just like and sleeping hard. He was sleeping hard. You sleep hard. Oh yeah. Oh, I he hear- was so asleep. Yeah. He was yeah. such a sleepy baby. <laughs> so sleeping behind or <laughs> between, <laughs> between behind. No. Sleeping Taking between him from behind. Shoulders, like a man. Um, bound up with chains. Um, no one was coming in. No one was coming out without the guards. And um, okay, so ah, behold, an angel of the Lord stood beside Peter, and a bright light shone into the cell. Shone. Shone. What did I say, shone? Shunned. Shone? A bright bright light shone. A bright light shone into the cell. So bright lights, and so Peter was sleeping, and the angel had to wake him up, so she just kind of smacked him. She's like, like, Peter, 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 wake up, wake up. Wait, is this where things get sexual? She like sits on his face really fast. Like, Peter, wake up. up. So she smacked him awake and she said, quick, they, they, I need to normalize pronouns. They quickly stand up and the chains fell off of Peter's hands. And the angel said, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. So he did. So another mic moment. Let's take a moment to discuss the word gird. Not not the throw up. <laughs> not, not the spit up. So gird is from Middle English. Girden um, from Old English. Girden. Basically to put a belt around like your robes, like long flowing robes, kind of basically to hike them up basically to kind of put a girdle around. And that's from Proto-Germanic, from Proto-Indo-European. Oh, good. Mike is nodding in agreement, I assume. Yes, I actually just looked it up because um, 
it's the Proto-Germanic word is um, Gurdiana, mm -hmm. and it's from the Proto-Indo-European Gerd. Oh, thank you. That, I had that written down, but I didn't know how to pronounce it, so I just skipped it. <laughs> so um, basically, it's using as a verb. Um, basically, gird up your loins is what the angel is telling him to do. That Prepare means whip out your cock, tie it around your waist. Tie it around your waist. Keep it out of the way. We don't want you tripping over it during our escape. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, I just yeah. see it. There, if there's <laughs> not a porno made about this, I swear to God, it's coming. So basically, put your shit on and follow me. Let's Let's go. And so this is, I'm going to insert my little art review here because I found this painting and it just depicted so well what I had in my mind already. So here is Peter and he's on the floor, but yet his, his head and the top part of his body is kind of like laying on a ledge almost. And this angel is kind of hovering over him. It's like the moment right after she smacks him awake. Like I, I, I think of her like smacking the back of his head, like wake up. And he looks at her and his hands are kind of like, what? And her arm is kind of like pointing her arm. I'm sorry. I keep saying her arm, but their arm. Just always use that. So the angel's arm is kind of like pointing towards the exit. And they're like doors over there. Basically. Hey, let's go. Let's hurry. Get up. Let's go. Ass up, goid your loins. Wake up, gird your loins, we're out of here. So Peter, he did follow the angel, but he wasn't really sure if he was just having a vision, but he's like, you know, the door's open, let's, let's go for it. So he left the cell and the two guards behind, uh, I don't know what they were doing, but he walked past um, the other guards to an iron gate which magically opened of its own accord. And this door led out to the city and they walked down the street, you know, all casual. And then the angel just disappeared. He's just loose in the streets. Guards don't know he's gone. He's just, he, he's just out. He's Peter about town. Yeah. He's just, he's like, sweet. So that just happened. He's like, where's a bar? Yeah. Where's a bar? I am parched. I'm so thirsty. So now what, so now what is he going to do? So he went to the house of Mary, of course, the mother of John, where a lot of people were gathering and praying. So Peter just went up, knocked on the door and a little girl named Rhoda, you know, oh, I'll get it. You guys are praying. You keep praying. I don't, don't interrupt. I'll, I got this. I'll, I'll go get the door. So when she was going to get it, she recognized Peter's voice on the other side of the door. So she got really excited and she's like, whoa, that's Peter. This is exciting. So in her excitement, she ran to go tell everyone, hey, everyone, the prayer worked. Peter's here. He's here. And poor Peter is still outside knocking on the door. It's like, um, Peter's like, let me the fuck in. Rhoda, <laughs> I'm escaped convict. I'm sure they're after me now. Could you please let me the fuck in? So, so wouldn't everyone be excited? Oh my gosh, Peter's back. Well, of course they didn't believe her. I mean, why would they? She's one, she's a girl. She's a little girl. Um, you know, they don't know shit. They don't know anything. But Rhoda, 
feisty little one. She didn't give up and she kept insisting, no, no, Peter's here. And, but instead of believing her, it was easier for them to say, whoa, you know, it's, it's not Peter. It, it just must be his angel or something. I mean, that's more believable. He's dead. Yeah, that's more believable than what Rhoda over here is saying. Cause you know, she's a yeah. girl. He's dead. His ghost came and he's an angel. Mm-hmm. We're, and he's knocking on the door versus just appearing to us versus believing a little yeah, girl. Exactly. That's the way I took it. So, but you know, Rhoda, yeah. no, she, she fought for what she believed in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's like, I have words to mm-hmm. say. And you can't tell me she didn't say, mm, told you so. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when they finally went to go open the door, they're like, whoa, look who it is. It's, it's Peter, right? Like, crap, I had no idea that was BU. So he motioned to keep them quiet because, you know, he was an escaped convict. And he told them of how the Lord sent the angel to help him escape, you know, told him the whole story. And then he said, go tell these things to James because, I don't know, I he probably didn't realize that James was dead or maybe he was talking about another James. There were so many James out there. So go tell James and to the brethren that I'm free. Yeah. That I'm free. And you know, that I'm back. And, um, so uh, yeah. And then he departed and went to another place and the end, (laughs) you know, the song return of the Mac. Anybody? Anybody? No. Sing a little bit for me. Return of the Mac. Oh, yeah. Return of the Mac. Oh, God. Oh, return of the Mac. Like, it's literally just him saying Return of the Mac over and over again. Yeah, I got nothing. I just remember there's a Macklemore song where he starts it with Return of the Mac. Yeah. Yeah, so he stole that from... Oh, God. It was a reference? Yeah. So many things. People will be like, oh, yeah, X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, oh... The thing was a reference to another thing. Yeah, so he was like in uh, late '80s, early '90s, like um, hip hop star, and then in the late '90s he did a comeback thing. Cause I think I don't know he was gone for a while. I can't remember where he was gone. And the song was literally just like him saying over and over again, "Return of the Mac." Oh God, Return of the Mac. Oh yeah, <laughs> like over and over again. So and then there's like little things in between but it's mostly just him saying that and um so i just envision <laughs> peter being like return of the peter oh yeah return of the peter oh yeah yeah or like return of the rock <laughs> like that's good you know like and then rhoda's his backup and, like, singer dancing through town. yeah <laughs> Yeah, because there is like a little part where like a girl talks and they're like, and they're like, where you been, Mac? And he's like, oh, girl, I'm back. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh so God. I just envision that. I love it. That's fabulous. Yeah. Okay, so everyone, you know, Google that song. Just listen to it. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll try to get it, you know, DJed yeah, up. Perfect. So, so yeah, that's the story of how... An angel freed Peter from jail. And you were worried about having enough content, Heather. I was. I was so stressed. What I'm really hearing is that you should disobey laws that are bad and do not enforce the general good of humanity. And that 
if you do the right thing, the right thing will happen to you. And so if you get arrested protesting for Black Lives Matter, there's probably a bail fund that will help you out. Absolutely. Or at least Kim Kardashian. Yeah. (laughs) There is probably a weird eccentric celebrity Mm -hmm. who has too much money and is willing to spend some to make sure that you don't spend your life in jail. Thank you, Heather. Um, I'm going to cut the recording so that uh, we can get started on Terrace. But, um... Yes. Cool. Welcome back. Virgins and whores. Virgins and whores. Virgins and whores. Everything Tara's ever wanted to talk about. All right, so now it's my turn. I'm going to focus on the parables of Jesus. And I took a moment and kind of wrote out all of my thoughts about this. And my very first thought is that I need to start with making fun of Mike. Wrote this weeks ago, and it still holds true today, that I must start with making fun of Mike. So... Essentially, Mike's like little aspect to this uh, podcast is that he likes to, you know, really delve deep into the translations and the roots of where things come from, the historical nature of, you know, what we're really looking at and what he's teaching us. And so I'm going to take us into a moment of me wearing my Mike pants. So a parable. It's rooted from the translation (laughs) of the Hebrew word mashal. And it can also mean riddle in translations. So basically, um, historically, parables have been associated with Jesus and his teachings in the New Testament. But a good amount has also been peppered throughout the Old Testament. It's not just something that Jesus woke up one day and was like, I'm going to speak in some riddles and hope that you guys can keep up. It's basically historically the Jewish storytelling And would have been the traditional way and method of the time for us to really teach the next generation and teach, you know, any sort of new way of thinking would have been done within parables to stay in line with the historical kind of Jewish storytelling. And it made sense that that's why Jesus used it is because it was a historically significant way of teaching at the time. When I was researching the history of parables, I came across a lot of people who had a lot of opinions on it and really was trying to figure out the easiest way to describe it and keep it kind of at a level that I think is easier to understand. And I came across a quote from a gentleman named Adolf Juliker, 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 probably Juliker. Um, and <laughs> he said, <laughs> Would would you liquor? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you liquor, you liquor, you liquor. I liquor. I don't know yeah. who licks her. So he said, a true parable may be regarded as an extended smile. And I thought that was really cool because Aww. it means a parable is a metaphor that has a picture part, a reality part, and a point of comparison between the picture and the reality. So. That, for some reason, clicked in my brain. I don't know if it clicks with you guys, but it just kind of made it, it... It helped me understand what the difference between a parable and a metaphor was because in the readings that I was doing, it seemed like you could use one to explain the other. In reality, it's just a parable is an extension upon a metaphor. So you have to have a metaphor in order to have a parable type thought process, I think is what this is telling me. In the Gospel of Matthew... 
Jesus provides an answer when he's asked about his use of parables. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Some historians believe that Jesus would preach in parables, but then go back home and then tell his disciples what he meant in private. I don't really follow that. I think that it's more like what other historians are saying, which is that due to the historical evidence that supports that this was kind of the norm on how people talk to each other and how people taught each other, that he taught in these parables and thought, if you were a true believer of him, then you would be smart enough to understand the parable and non-believers would not understand. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, and it very much is in the uh, kind of classical interpretation a lot of the kind of um, historical values of the ancient Jewish societies were about accumulating wisdom. Like famously, the stories of Solomon are very much based in the fact that Solomon is wise. It's not that he's super strong or, you know, uh, really powerful or really rich. It's that he is very, very wise And so the idea that you can interpret something and dissect all of its various meanings and kind of understand the shades of meaning is very much a part of the value system of the culture at the time. Yeah. So I chose to really focus on two parables. Uh, There's a lot of them. Really, there was kind of a handful of them that I could have gone and picked. And I kind of read through a couple of them and was really looking for ones that I thought would be interesting and at least have a good kind of dynamic of conversation with them. So the two that I chose were the 10 virgins and then the two debtors. Since this is a re-recording, I had in here to talk about what you guys thought that these were going to be about. Do you guys remember what your initial thoughts were about the 10 virgins? I remember that I my understanding before I had heard any of this because I actually did not remember either of these parables. Um, and I think the for the virgins one I interpreted as being much more based on, like, to be completely frank, like a man controlling himself around multiple virgins was my interpretation, just because ancient history is very rapey. And yes, that that was that was my impression of the of the ten virgins. Do you remember your feelings about the ten virgins? Heather? Um, not really. I mean, no, yeah. I think like when, when you first said 10 virgins, I, my mind immediately went to like this room where they kept the virgins, you know, kind of locked up and, you know, there was like a eunuch, you know, (laughs) like watching over them and, you know, they're all dressed in white and they're just laying around, you know, eating grapes, waiting for someone to, Choose them, kind of like a Rapunzel type thing, of like they're up in this tower. Yeah, just yeah. just waiting for some guy to come and make them not a virgin anymore. So, <laughs> I thought um, <laughs> when I chose the ten virgins, I was like, oh yes, 
this is going to be juicy. <laughs> Let me delve into this. And I thought that it was going to be about slut shaming. I was ready to come in here with my little feminist hat yep. and be like, listen here, fuckers. They can be virgins. They can be sluts. They can do whatever they want. No man's going to tell us what we have to do here. Okay. That's right. But because basically we know that the Bible is basically about slut shaming anyway. So I wanted, so my thought process was is that this was going to be about how the most virgin of virgins will be the way to be a man, you know? Virgin of virgins. Yes. Um, so I'm going to go into the 10 virgins and the parable from the Bible. I'm going to read it, but then I have to take a moment to sidestep something and tell a little bit of a story. So parable from the Bible starts out first sentence. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives. So this is where I have to take my first break. <laughs> because when I was researching this, I read that as that he sat upon like a true mountain of olives. And it's not a mountain of olives. It is literally a geographical location that is part of the route from Jerusalem to Bethany. And Jesus camped here with his disciples and then cried over Jerusalem. I really probably should have researched because we had the time on why he cried over Jerusalem. <laughs> um, because I kept saying, wow, that should be done. Um, but I didn't. And But I did research uh, about Mount, uh, Mount of Olives and just kind of did a little bit of... Um, you know, reading up on it. And it's a real place. Um, it's on the side of Jerusalem. <laughs> and that there's actually been like a bunch of, um, you know, different historical things that have happened there. But a couple of them that were super interesting to me were that a, at one time, Jews wanted to be buried there when they were when they died, because they thought that the Mount of Olives is where Jesus ascended to heaven from and so um it's like a really special place and i guess in the teachings why they wanted to be buried there was because the thought process is that's where he's ascended and that's also where he will descend from heaven when he comes back and so there's actually a bunch of like unmarked graves on mount olive of jews and stuff and they're guessing there's probably i mean they estimate about 150 people before they kind of put the kibosh on it and they were like, listen, we need to stop having like all these people buried here. The other thought that part that I thought was really interesting is that um, in Jerusalem, the Mormons wanted to build a university there. And really? the Church of Latter-day Saints near the valley separating the Mount of Olives from Mount Scopus. And that it created some controversy because of the concerns that the Mormons would engage in missionary activities in the area. But then the Mormons had to basically go to Israel and say, listen, we pledge to not do any sort of missionary activities here. We just want to build our university. And then Israel was like, if you promise, Mormons, we'll let you build. And then they were like, promise. <laughs> and so they got to build their university. I just thought that was pretty interesting about Mount Olive. That is interesting. I didn't know that. So Jesus wasn't standing on a mountain of olives and drinking a martini? No, no. So he wasn't like just standing there and like, you know, sitting on, 
talking to his people on the olives he and like reaching down there every time he wanted to like shake not stir yeah. he was it's literally a location like it's a true mountain not of olives but of like dirt dirt good to know i assume olives grew there sure it's named for the olive groves that once covered its slopes Okay, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there, there was olives. There you we know? go. So not out of line. So anyway, so it's not a mountain of olives. It's a geographical location and it's the route that he took from Jerusalem to Bethany. Jesus camped there with his disciples and cried over Jerusalem. He did a lot of his preaching there specifically about what was about to come. It was like he that was his spot where he was like, Listen here, I'm gonna tell you what's coming up. I'm gonna tell you you know, what you're going to have, you know, to expect. This is his area. So when the, oh, also, sorry, one more thing about Mount Olive is that they also sing there a lot. So in the New Testament, which is like the only place where they talk about Jesus, so I'm not sure why we had to completely talk say that this was in the New <laughs> Testament, like, duh, Wikipedia. But um, it tells how Jesus and his disciples sang together. And when they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives in the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus then ascended to heaven from the Mount of Olives. Hmm. So they sang a lot. I thought that was interesting because I, I just literally picture them being like, oh, olives. <laughs> like, so as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of the, thy coming and of thy of the end of the world? And Jesus answers with the parable. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. Those who were foolish when they took their lamps took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom delayed, they all slumbered and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, What if there isn't enough for us and you? You go rather to those who will sell and buy for yourselves. While they went away to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Most certainly, I tell you, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you don't know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Girl, the bridegroom straight up Mariah carried them. Exactly. I don't know her. I don't know her. I don't know her. And so, what the fuck, Jesus? <laughs> this, to me, is just fascinating. And why I chose this was because, to me, this completely showed how Jesus, in my opinion was a little bit of a shady man in terms of his telling. He had a little bit of a shade factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and also our teachings that I feel like we're told in the our childhood is, you know, be kind to your neighbor and help others in need. And, you know, the 
the value of the message of Christ is to be good to others. Yet this parable is like, don't help her. Like, <laughs> like the mean girls. I mean, yeah, the mean girls. Like, you know, I've been telling, basically the interpretation is, so in the parable of the ten virgins, Jesus is telling the story about a party of virgins and they're, for the, proce- the procession, they're chosen to participate in a wedding. Each of the ten virgins is carrying a lamp and they wait for this bridegroom. And then at midnight, virgins hear the call to come out to the bridegroom and realizing their lamps have gone out. They're like, oh, wow, I need more oil. But then they ask their friends for more and they're like, mm, no, you can go buy your own shit. Like, I came with extra oil. Yeah, you don't fucking mooch. Right. Like, and so in the parable, Jesus Christ is the bridegroom and the virgins are Christians. The awaited event is the second coming of Christ. And so it's basically like Jesus told them like, hey, I'll be back. Make sure you have your shit in line for when I'm going to be back. And the people who are not true believers may come and be when they see him coming back, they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to be part of that, but because they don't have their shit, like Jesus is going to be like, no, thank you. You don't get to come to my Jesus party. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be saved. So like you best be preparing and, you know, in line for when he's going to come. So do you think that means like, you know, if you're not saved, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ into your heart. Exactly. Then, then you you can't come in. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like you need to be living the faith even when the payoff isn't readily available to you with the understanding that there will be payoff later. Yeah, which I always think is interesting because what I was taught is that as long as you say that you're a believer at some point, like you get in, you know, you mm-hmm. just have to accept them into your heart. And you can do that as like your last dying breath. And that's why like the priest will come in and be like, you sure? Yeah, you sure? Yeah. You good? Like. Here are your last rites. Like, just tell me you love them and you're in. Like, come on, just say it. Just say it. Just say it. <laughs> like, say it. Say the words. Well, and like different sects of Christianity will have different kind of parameters for this. Whether or not you're baptized tends to matter. Um, in some churches, it matters if you're confirmed in the faith. Like if you've done the classes and given a statement of faith and stuff. But in like Islam, all you need to do to convert to Islam technically is say the phrase in Arabic and uh, mean it and believe it. And I think the phrase is, um, I believe in the one true God and Muhammad, his prophet or something. Yeah. And you need to say it in Arabic because Muhammad spoke Arabic and that's the liturgical language, but that's it. Um, so the, the kind of scope of how you can prove your belief to God or the relevant God or gods kind of varies culture to culture, but it seems that what Jesus is saying is that you really need to do it in advance of the world ending and you need to invest wholeheartedly into the religion and like buckle in. Yeah. It's very like you can't put your seatbelt on in the middle of a car crash. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or like the arm of your parents not going to save you. Like you have to save yourself, like type things to put on your fucking seatbelt. Yeah and rely on that arm because you can't just be like, but my mom put her arm around me. Like I should be safe. I'm not going to go through the windshield. Yeah. Like (laughs) work that way. Right. Mm -hmm. So that is the parable of the 10 virgins. The next one that I have is the parable of the two debtors. So do you guys have any feelings about what you guys think this one's about? I, I feel like, 
I remember a lot of kind of New Testament readings from my childhood in which Jesus forgives a debtor who fucked him over. Or in the parable, a man forgives a debtor who fucked him over. And Jesus is like, aha, forgive people. But I don't remember any of the details. And I don't even know if that's right. What, what came to my mind was there was like a, a donation box at a church. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. like a rich, per- and I don't know why debtors made me think of this. But like there was a rich person, you know, had tons of money and put a lot of money in the, something to help the poor, uh-huh. I think. And, um, so, you know, the rich came in and, you know, was able to give a lot of money. And then this really poor person gave their last penny or whatever, you know, the uh-huh. currency was in there. And I think it was Jesus said that their contribution was greater than the rich person. And the rich person got like all mad. It's like, well, no, cause I look at all this money I gave you. And they're like, no, but he gave his only money. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what came into my mind. Now I wish I would have found that one. Cause that sounds more interesting than what this one was. I think that's like tithing and giving mm-hmm. like a percentage of your money and so that way it's like a scope instead of you Mm -hmm. know everyone giving five dollars that five dollars might mean more to somebody of a certain percentage versus Mm -hmm. like somebody who could give more yeah um so that's not what I'm going to talk about but like interesting (laughs) those were great yeah Yeah. um if anyone would like to tithe to me they can (laughs) but basically I thought that this was going to be about like a story about greed and how if you're going to be charitable you should and then you not be a debt collector so kind of in line with what you were talking Mm -hmm. about Heather yeah um no we're close um so the two debtors So this parable is told in response to an unspoken reaction by Jesus's host, who was named Simon, not Peter Simon, Simon Peter, whoever we were just talking about with Heather, but sometimes identified as Simon the leper, leaper, the leper, leper. One of the Pharisees, uh, and I even wrote in there, Simon was his name, not Simon Peter. So I really wanted you guys not to confuse it. So one of the Pharisees invited him to invited Jesus to eat with him. He entered into the Pharisee's house and sat at the table and behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that he was reclining in that Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of ointment standing behind at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and she wiped them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed him with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would have perceived who and what kind of woman this is and who touches him, that she is a sinner. Jesus, knowing of Simon's sass, (laughs) that's Tara, not the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Said to Simon, Simon, I have something to tell you. And Simon said, Teacher, say on, which I again feel like these people are sassafrasin at each other. Then Jesus said, A certain lender has two debtors, the one who owed 500 denarii and then one who owed 50. When they couldn't pay, he forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him most? Simon answered, 
he, I suppose, to whom he forgave the most. He said to him, you have judged, you have judged correctly. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered into your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And you, sir, gave me no kiss. The sir was me, not the Bible. You gave me <laughs> no kiss. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she has loved me much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. So that's the parable. <laughs> With Damn a little right. addition yeah. from Tara. <laughs> little ad libbing. Sass. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that story had everything. Yeah. The first thing that I wrote here is that back in our conversation about Mary Magdalene, I believe that there was a little side note that went into the fact that um, there was a lot of confusions about who the Marys are and mm-hmm. um, was one of the Marys, the one that um, ended up washing Jesus's feet with her hair. So I want to ask you guys, like, do you think that this is Mary Magdalene or do you think, like, is this the introduction of Mary Magdalene into a story? So the general, like, when I asked my mom about this. Oh, who is also a Mary. Who is also a Mary. So she would know. Because they all know each other. Yes, all the Marys. They all get on the Marys yeah. Zoom meeting. <laughs> but she, because she was raised Catholic and quite religious, she said in no uncertain terms that the Mary who washed Jesus's feet was not Mary Magdalene. I do think that in one of the Gospels, it's Mary of Bethany. And in the other Gospels, it's just a random woman. Interesting. So so it kind of branches out. You either have a random woman, Mary of Bethany, who is the one who was sitting listening to Jesus while her sister Martha was cleaning the house. And mm-hmm. then the third interpretation, which is less, uh, which doesn't have any textual support, is that Mary Magdalene is Mary of Bethany. And therefore also the sinful woman. Interesting. So there are a lot of permutations floating around for this story. Gotcha. Some of the historical kind of references to this parable, a lot of people kind of took it as him attacking Pharisees, Jesus, um, and saying like, you dumbasses, you don't know even like the proper teaching of Jesus here, but... Well, and you don't even know what you have. Right, right. And it's like, you want to cast stones at this woman, yet like you're not doing shit. So like, sit down. But... The other kind of group of people who've interpreted it said that this isn't really supposed to be an attack on the Pharisees, but rather an attempt to teach them to see the woman as Jesus sees her. So the method that Jesus is using is entrapment, and he catches an unsuspecting character in his or her own words. So it's a surprise attack of being like, you know, you're going to sit here and judge her. Well, listen here, I'm going to turn this around on you and kind of do like what 
was on Heather's portion of being like, we're going to flip this bitch and be like, listen here, look at it another angle and tell me if you really think that what you're saying is the truth. You know, I, I think a, a main point of this is that it's not like a, a shameful of like coming back to Simon and being, and you know, being aggressive of like, you dipshit, you should have washed my hair and kissed me and all the other things that he asked for. But more of a teaching of, you know, you need to live your life looking at somebody not for the sins that they've committed, but for the good that they can do, which I thought was really impactful. Because I, to me, that is more of the teaching of what, what the point of Jesus was, was like to teach us to be better and to be kind to each other and look at people differently. I like that. And and it's why I chose these two parables in the end. It was because I felt like the first parable was very much showcasing that Jesus, in the end of anything, like you guys can talk about whatever your beliefs are, anything of that, you know, something that even historians come back to say is that Jesus most likely was a real person. Now, whether or not he was the son of God or just somebody who was a very good preacher for the time and spoke, you know, what he believed to be true, that can be categorically commentated on by many different aspects. But for me, I think it really goes into the fact in the first one with the 10 virgins that he he was man, you know, and he he's gonna have moments where like he's not the best maybe person but it doesn't mean that he's not a good person to hang our hat on in terms of what he the messages that he's really bringing to the table you know everyone's gonna have sins I guess you could say yeah um so where I thought that the one with the two debtors really shows the other aspect of Jesus and how his main goal is to to make people be better and stuff and just like look at the world in a different way. And that's, you know, I, you know, as somebody who doesn't, uh, you know, really relate to the Bible or any of its teachings or anything of that, I think one of the things that, you know, as a human myself, I can't take a step back from and say isn't a good teaching is the fact that we should be good to each other, you know? And so I thought it was really interesting to show those two signs of me of like Jesus being a sassy bitch and Jesus being like that kind of warm, fuzzy dude who says the right things. I really like your analysis that um, Jesus is a person who has flaws and definitely has limits where he's like, yeah, we should all forgive each other, but like, come on, you guys, fucking show up. Yeah. But I think another possible interpretation to that is that it kind of goes to something that I went a little bit too deep into the weeds on for the Adam and Eve episode, which is that people's religions tend to match their societal structures. Mm -hmm. And so if you are conceptualizing Jesus as a religious figure, specifically as the son of God, that means that he will probably accord with a divine kind of reflection of royalty. And that means that as royalty, he is entitled to a certain level of respect and he is entitled to a certain level of adherence to ongoing law. That wouldn't, that would be surprising for a street preacher, even if that street preacher is right about God and the world and the universe and everything else. But 
I think it looks a little incongruous when we think about how forgiving Jesus is to kind of put the, these kind of older world conceptualizations of what royalty should be like. And Jesus is acting the way that royalty should, quote unquote, be like, if that makes sense. Totally. No, and I think that's like, I think that's just such an important part of where people get lost in everything is that they're just trying too hard to make him unattainable. Mm -hmm. So that's basically the, uh, the two parables that I did. But one of the things that I think um, is kind of more in line with my art review, I'll have the art for the two different parables that I told, but specifically on the art for the two debtors is that the description of the woman suggests that she is a known prostitute, although this inference is disputed. So if she is a prostitute, her presence defiles the Pharisees' ritual purity. And people have noted that it's easy enough to dismiss such a person as immoral as well as unclean and deviant without grappling with the social realities that a woman of that kind of impurity would not have been allowed to just kind of walk into a Pharisee's house. Like, that wouldn't have been allowed. She wouldn't have been able to make it in. Like, it's not like she can just walk into it. And then also, you know, women of that, you know, way of life would have been forced into that life by economic circumstances or maybe would have even been sold into sexual slavery. You know, it's kind of the idea, too, is that Jesus wouldn't have, you know, it's not like she walked and, like, woke up one day and she was like, you know what I'm going to do? Sell this. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, we've got some good stuff here. This coochie ain't free, Barbara. This can make some coin. Like, most likely it was circumstances that really just, she had no choice but to be in that. Right. But when you get to the artwork, what I really wanted to talk about is that different ways that this story has been interpreted through art is that you'll notice that the woman who's washing Jesus's feet will have different stylized clothing and different interpretations of the artwork. And throughout time, specifically, the color of her clothing has changed. And about the, I don't know, the medieval times uh, is when we started getting into the stylized artwork where she started being painted into a color of yellow. And when historians started looking at that artwork and then started reading about the times and stuff where at the time when Jesus would have been around, the color yellow was a symbol of somebody who was doing wrong and who was actually a a prostitute. And so when the medieval times started painting the woman as yellow, they were like, oh, well, she was a whore. So that's why she was so such a sinner. Like they're the ones who started retelling the story of her being a prostitute. And so I just thought it was really interesting that prior to, you know, the artwork in basically inferring her of being a whore, it never had been that kind of reference point. It was something that happened throughout time as the artwork kind of people took artistic liberties. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is part of the implication too is the fact that she was carrying perfume, which apparently would have been kind of one of the my childhood pastor called it one of the tools of the trade. <laughs> if she was carrying perfume and she didn't have nothing to perfume, but well, 
But I just read you the parable, and where in that did it actually say that? It said that she had oil. It's just something that is scented, that is like a physical oil that is scented, basically. But then he, Jesus asks Simon to anoint his head with oil. So, like, what, a man can have perfume and it not be a sign of a prostitute? Obviously, yeah. Like, yeah. Another reason why this book <laughs> gives me a pain. To your point, it feels like anybody could have any kind of oil based on the fact that Simon also has oil. It could be that people say, well, she must be a prostitute because she's been depicted in yellow. And, oh, there's oil? Maybe that's more evidence that she, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just like yeah. it's stacking up on her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I don't like it, but it makes sense. You're really doubling down on those trulies, and I appreciate you. Really you. Yeah. Um, kind of proud of you, Mike. Listen, I'm not fucking, I'm not primary researcher this episode. <laughs> yeah. You're like, it is a Friday night. Let's get it. Um, okay. And then my last piece of artwork, and then I think I'll be done, is that the Ten Virgins, the one that I chose, it just kind of made me laugh because of Heather's artwork and how she had the... <laughs> angel who was like slapping the asses and pointing over there and like listen there's the door fucker (laughs) the artwork that i have for the 10 virgins is literally like the five virgins who have the oil and they're like the epitome of mean girls being like excuse me like you're coming and knocking on my door for some oil like, the shops are down over there, and they're, like, all pointing and just have, like, looks of disgust. And they're like, do you see the signs for the marketplace? Like, you get, you better get to stepping, because this bridegroom can be showing up any time now, bitches. Like, so it just really made me laugh, because it was, like, our stories just kind of touched on, like, everyone just being exasperated and being like, well, you look down there, and you'll see what you need. So... It was funny to me. So I'll make sure to post all of our artwork that we mentioned in the Facebook group. So please take a look at it and leave us comments on what you think about the artwork. So those are parables, you guys. That was great, Tara. Yeah. That was really good. Thanks. You're so awesome. Heather, too much positive reinforcement is <laughs> not advisable. That's why she keeps me around. <laughs> all right. I think that brings us to a nice, wonderful conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, You can support the show by liking, reviewing, subscribing, join the Facebook group, shoot us an email, holyspiritspodcast at gmail.com. Interact with us. We're very lonely. Yeah. I'm not sure if you guys know this, but there's a pandemic going on and we're not allowed to leave our houses, hence the technology upgrade. Yeah, and now we have a reason to record the podcast without seeing each other physically. So there you go. So, all right. Well, I think it's, you know, stay safe, be friendly. Um, The way that you end church if you are Lutheran is go in peace, serve the Lord. And then the congregation goes, thanks be to God. (laughs) Oh, my God. Is that really what they say? Yeah. Well, go in peace is very Star Trek-y. Live long and prosper. So our next episode will be about Alexander the Great, and then the one following that will be Abram slash Abraham and Sarah, which is also very exciting. Yeah. Excellent. Very good. Yeah, no, I'm really excited for it, and Alexander the Great's going to be fantastic. Dude, Alexander the Great is going to blow your fucking mind. I've done probably a quarter of the research, but I can already tell you that it's going to be really fun. And I just have 
so much to talk about. All right, go in peace, do good, be nice to each other. We love you, smooches, all that kind of shit. <laughs> Perfect. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>